I would love to hear about some of the goodness that you talked about in your own lives. You are setting me up for my own sermon, so thank you for that. Uh, but if you just had some goodness that you shared with your group, I'd love to hear that as we get moving. Come on, people. I know you all got something you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, our goodness is geared towards others. Yeah. We have some confidentiality clauses going on in here. Uh, this group has strict NDA policies. We just want to make that very aware of that. Yeah. So, did you say how badly you treat ourselves? Oh, well, you treat ourselves. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, I love that. Others, some things that came out, some goodness that you shared. Yeah. Well, our group, we found, and I feel comfortable saying. Thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. We all kind of um, sort of realized that we're, we tend to be pretty good at making other people feel seen, like mm. we're engaging with somebody else. Mm. We typically get the feedback that people feel like we're really pressing for them and that their opinions need to be yeah, I love that. That's so good. And that's one of the things that I just love about New Abbey is the goodness that is in this room and that there's an ethos and a DNA for people here that we are good, that we are made in the image of God and goodness is who we are. And I don't know about you, but sometimes church is wild, all right? I grew up in a world of church where I did not believe in my goodness. I believed that I was bad and that something was wrong with me there were things wildly out of my control. And church can be a wild place that teaches you some aspects of your humanity. One of the wildest churches I would ever go to was my Aunt Judy's church. This place was like charismatic, but not in the fun ways, like all the scary ways. If there's a scary way that you can imagine, that's exactly what they had going on for like scary, bad kind of stuff. And I always remember this pastor getting up there when I was a young kid. And every, like, I would only visit the church like a couple times a year, but every time I came, they had a new reason why Jesus was coming back that week, and I was stressed. I was stressed that Jesus was coming, and I knew that I was bad, so I was very worried that however Jesus was coming, when he was getting out of here, I was not going with him, right? And I remember one time I was there, and the pastor was talking about that there was a baseball strike that was going on in the 90s. I know there's not a lot of sports ball fans in here. Great, six of us. Um, and he somehow made the connection that because of the baseball strike that was going on and some like prophecy from Joel and Isaiah, that's how we knew that Jesus was coming back this week. And I'm just like, God, this is wild. And I was like seven years old. And I knew something was very wrong here, like still traumatized by it. I'll also remember a time that I was there, and this is not a joke, but now like my eight-year-old self is like, eh, this seems a little weird. Because he's talking about something about in the Bible, like the spoils of God. And I kid you not, he says to us, and if you take the S and the P away, it says oil. And in the Middle East right now, they're trying to go after oil. I'm like, that's why we think that someone is coming back? And I know we laugh about it, but many of you have wild church stories. 
of people who said crazy things where when you're in it, you're like, oh, yeah, amen. Yeah, that sounds like a good, I'm coming to the altar this week because I don't want to miss it. And then later on, you're like, I was crazy. That was absolutely wild. And I don't say it to just mock it or make fun of it or somehow I think that we're better. I think that I say a lot of it because it's a reality of there is bad theology out there. There are bad experiences of church and thank God that we live in a world where things are happening and progressing and evolving. There's a reformation taking place around planet Earth right now probably because of social media where for the first time in human history we can share these stories with one another and we can be like, no, that's just wild. And I don't have to believe those things about myself anymore. There's a bigger version of Jesus and Christianity and faith and spirituality that is out there and we all have access to it and we get to share our stories and thank and praise God for that reality. And so today we're gonna to talk about goodness because as a community over this next year, we're thinking about beauty and truth and goodness. That's the lens and the framework for New Abbey in 2023 because we believe that we all want more beauty in our lives. We all want more truth and we all want more goodness. And we believe that goodness reveals to us beauty and truth just like beauty reveals to us truth and goodness and truth reveals to us beauty and goodness. That we're gonna keep looking at that from a different lens and we believe that this is something that Jesus has for us as human beings, and goodness is something that is just a part of the fabric of the universe, but many of us grew up in worlds where we weren't told that. And so to talk about goodness, we gotta talk about some things. We're gonna talk about bad theology, and if we can do that, then we can talk about our goodness. And then if we can do that, I'm just gonna nerd out like really, really hard this morning. So if you're like, man, I am just looking to zone out, congratulations, this is your morning. Then we're gonna talk about our goodness, then we're gonna talk about theosis, then we're gonna talk about theosis, then the filioque clause, everybody's favorite clause from 1054 in the Great Schism between the East and the West. Again, a good time, a good time. And if we can do that, then we'll come back to your goodness, and if we can do that, then we're gonna talk about the great theologian Howard Thurman and just some theology that shaped him. And Howard Thurman was perhaps the theologian who shaped Martin Luther King Jr. and his philosophy, theology, and his social justice movement. So, let's have a good time. Here's the bad theology that I was taught growing up, and it's bad for a few reasons. One is I think it's just not helpful, and I also call it bad theology because the theology is rooted in this idea that somehow we were bad. And just let me know if this is also the theology maybe that you grew up with. And the theology goes something like this, that somewhere back in time, and there was two people, and because of those two people, original sin came into the world, and we have now have been affected in it ever since. And then what happened in that garden is that, like, Adam did some things, but Eve really did some things because she's a woman, right? And there was a serpent who was clearly the devil, and there was a magical tree with fruit on it. And if anybody ate from the magical tree, now things were going to be bad for the rest of humanity. And they did eat from the magical tree. Things have been bad for the rest of humanity. Now the Bible is set up in a way because God, who is somehow, let me be careful here, in this theology, God is perfect. That's the way that we understand God. And because God is perfect, God cannot look or see sin. So now God has to deal with the sin in the world because somehow the God who's omnipotent and all-powerful could not foresee that they were going to eat from a magical tree in the garden. This thing is layered with landmines, right, that you asked as a seven-year-old, but, like, don't ask that. Um, so then that's going on. And then the rest of the Bible is that God sets up a commandments and covenant with the people of Israel only to prove the fact of how bad we are and that we cannot keep these commands and covenants. So we need to kill a lot of animals so that this perfect God will feel happy 
with God's self. In this situation, it is always himself, right? And then this God will feel happy, and then that did not work out, so God needed to send his son Jesus to die for us because God is still mad, and unless God's son is killed, then God can't be happy without his child dying. Child does said things, dies for us, and now what we wait for is that the world is actually still bad, and God cannot wait to get us out of here with Kurt Cameron in the rapture. <laughs> Did anyone have a similar story to that growing up? I'm the only one, really. No one else had that kind of theology. All right. Now, some of you are like, I don't know where you're going. Some of you have been around New Abbey long enough. You're like, yeah, par for the course. Other of you guys are like, man, this church practices heresy, apparently. <laughs> Well, let's just talk about a couple things. That view and understanding of the world is not an orthodox view of Christianity over the last 2,000 years. The church originally started off with something called theosis. Theosis was really this idea that we are made in the image of God, and we are also made in the likeness of God. That the church originally came up with an idea not of original sin, but of something called original blessedness. It was the belief that we are all blessed and made in the image of God. That part is always true. And that what Jesus comes to do is not die for your sins. And I know you're like, man, I don't know how to deal with this. It, it, there's, there's a lot of good reading. There's the internet. There's a lot of things that are going to help get you there, right? Richard Rohr, The Naked Now, some books I can recommend to help process some of these things. Because Jesus actually never says that. Not once in the Gospels does Jesus say, I came to die for your sins. Jesus will say a lot of things like this. Will you follow me? I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest, right? Jesus provides for us this idea of a way of a kingdom of God. And in this kingdom of God, Jesus always leaves people better than he found them. Jesus is constantly revealing to all of these people who are sinners their goodness and their beauty and the truth about who they are. And it's in this different radical good news that for the early church, why it exploded. Because in this kingdom that Jesus is setting up in this world, it didn't matter if you were male or female. It didn't matter if you were master or slave. It didn't matter if you were Caesar or whoever. You all came to a table being reminded of your goodness. And so the early church knew this. And then what they said is what discipleship is. Discipleship is how we teach you to practice the likeness of God. That's what Jesus asked you to come follow. You are already made in the image of God. There is nothing that you need to do to change that incredible reality. The likeness of God is something that we can all grow into. That we can begin to engage into this beautiful world in the same ways that God would engage in this world. And that's the story of Jesus. Now, you fast forward about a thousand years and the church is in a big, by the way, are we still tracking? I told you we're going to nerd out a little bit, so we're still, we're okay. I'm going to check in every now and then, make sure that we're awake. I understand it. This is like sometimes highly exciting. Sometimes you're like, move on. Okay. <laughs> 1054 AD, everybody's favorite year, I know, remember that one, is the Great Schism. The Great Schism is between the Eastern and the Western church. The Eastern and the Western church divide. The first time that the church divides in a thousand years is over the Filioque Clause, which I, I know you guys are big Filioque Clause readers. The Filioque Clause was simply this. The church was debating, does the Holy Spirit come from the Father or the Father and the Son? Whoa, right? Big times. That's why the church divided. That's not really why the church divided, like all other debates and conflict in the world. We say this is the thing, but we know that you just don't like Sally and accounting, right? Yeah, there's always like a thing behind a thing behind a thing behind a thing. There's some like power issue that's actually going on, and then there's 
thing that we actually say in the world. And the thing that we actually said in the world was the filioque clause. But here's the deal. The church begins to go on these different paths. For the Eastern church, they begin to stick with this narrative of like Jesus is all about incarnation and resurrection and blessing. And the art from the Eastern church, which almost none of us have been exposed to in the Western world, is all stories of resurrection. Even their pictures of hell are not people burning in a pit like we have in the Western world world of like Dante's Inferno. It's Jesus rescuing everybody from any type of eternal damnation. It's the God who reconciles all things. In the Western world, we got a little darker, just so you know. And we go really, really hard on this idea that we are bad. And then the reformers, when the church splits again, they go even harder on the idea that the church is bad. You got guys like Luther and Calvin out there where they say a lot of theology, and truth be told, probably had a little bit of mommy issues and needed a good therapist. Okay? And they would say words to us like, we, this is their language, not mine. We are literally just piles of horse crap. And we are only good because Jesus just covers us with the white snow. That is so comforting to me. Thank you, Calvin, for that one. So this is in our ideology and our understanding of God. So by the time that you get to the United States of America and evangelical theology, most of the theology and the ways in which we understand who Jesus is and what God does is rooted in this idea that there's something deeply wrong with us. But for a thousand years of the early church, that is not how they taught people about Jesus. Isn't that wild? But here's the deal. None of us probably knew that for a long time because we didn't have Instagram or Google. And it was only a few people who were just lonely enough to go to seminary like me, right? Uh, sorry, I don't, I'm not putting anyone else in that camp, just me, right? Where you learn Hebrew and Greek and theology and you begin to learn some of these things, but you're going to fight against an entire culture that tells you another way of following Jesus. And now we just have access to information because you can Google things. And we, even we just have access to art in another way. Many of us weren't traveling to certain museums around the world where we know there's always been another story of Jesus. And for many of us, it wasn't until like 10 years ago when like Rob Bell wrote A Love Wins when it's like evangelical church is like, whoa, be careful here, sir, right? That we just have access to better information. Genesis 1 says this. So God created mankind in God's own image, and in the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them, God blessed them, and then it says like a lot of other things, like we got like fish and plants and things, but you get it, that's what the dot, dot, dot is. God saw all that God had made, and it was very good. This is actually how the Bible starts. The Bible starts with our goodness and not with the problem. It starts with our blessedness and the truth about who God is, that God is good, and the truth about who we are, that we are good. This was revolutionary three to 4,000 years ago when these words first took place. And the reason it was revolutionary is that these were words given to a bunch of slaves in an ancient world where they had no power, no say, no meaning, and they constantly had to bow to kings and emperors. This is how God revealed God's self in the world. And in every other ancient creation story, what was going on is that the emperors and the gods, they were the ones chosen by God. Convenient, by the way. Because they were the ones chosen by God, all of the other ancient creation stories is that humanity was actually worthless. And that their job as human beings was to propagate the narrative of the powerful people. And then this story sneaks up in the world. It pops out of nowhere. 
And it's a God who's saying, no, 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 the story of the world is not just for a few powerful elite people. The story of the world is that every single human being, the 99.9% of the rest of the population, you are made in the image of God. And because God is good, guess what that means about you? You are good. That's the story. And I think so many of us have lost that reality. And then the story for the early church from like a biblical theology is not that the story just kept getting worse. It was actually a story all about God's good covenant. That the story even of Genesis 3 and the fall is not a story about some belly buttonless people in a garden. People always ask me about that belly buttonless people. I just want you to think about it for a minute. If God created them, of course they didn't have belly buttons. They didn't come out of a womb. Just like Ken and Barbie dolls. You get it. That was just for free. Enjoy that one. Do what you want with that. I think about that all the time, though. Why? I don't know. I'm bored. Um, sorry, this is sorry. Is there a feedback coming here? Is my word might go? Is it gone? Great. Yeah. They'll, someone will sort that out. It'll be a good thing. But even in that story, that's a story about a bunch of people who are caught in captivity, and they're trying to understand their world of why, when they're the chosen people of God, how do they understand the sense that they no longer are experiencing the blessings that they thought they were promised. That's what that story was originally about. It's thousands and thousands of years later in the Western culture how we've turned that story into somehow at the beginning of time, some people mess things up for the rest of history. Even the story of covenant is not a God who's playing games with us. It's a story about in the ancient world, covenant simply meant this. It was two people who would come and mutually agree upon some terms with one another. And in the ancient world, they would do weird things like take an animal, cut it in half, and you would walk between the dead animal and you would say, if I don't agree on the terms of this and I break this, then may what has happened to this animal happen to me. Talk about a contract that you wouldn't break, right? And in the ancient world, God makes this covenant with the Israelites, and when God does it, God doesn't have human beings walk through the dead animals. God is the only one that does it, because God is saying this, I want you to do your part as much as you can humanly do, but guess what? Because I am the infinite one, because I am the one who is good and actually not playing games with you, I'm the only one that's going to walk through here, because I know there's going to be a time where you actually cannot do your part. Why? Because you're a human being, and you're Fragility is not something that God needs to fix. Your fragility is part of the beauty of your creation. And because I am the creator, I'm the only one that's going to walk through this. The covenant will always be this. When times are hard and you can't handle it, I will be there because I am God. What a better story to live behind. And in this story, the story of covenant is not a God who sets up all these laws and regulations to prove that we're sinners. It's the story of a holy priesthood of believers who were once slaves because now they have a bigger truth of God's good news and God's kingdom. They want to bring that good news to the rest of the world. And they get to say this, we were once slaves in Egypt and look at us now. Look at the blessing and the land and the ways that God has encountered us. Why wouldn't we want that for the rest of humanity? What a different way to look at the Bible. And then when Jesus comes, Jesus wants to take this thing even more to the max. And the story of Jesus is about incarnation, which simply means this. It's about God showing up into our lives where we're at. And the story of Jesus is not fixing a bunch of people who are bad. The story of Jesus is a story about showing us what it means to be human. What, show, what it means to be human even when we suffer. Even when people betray us. How do we not transmit our pain into the world, but how do we transform the world through our healing? The narrative makes way more sense when we start with blessedness and goodness. The story is quite odd when we start with badness, and it's not even orthodox. I know I nerded out on a lot of things, and we went through like theology and history and Bible, but here's the reason that I bring it all up. I have found that in the world of church in the United States, particularly with conservative theologies and evangelicalism, 
Many of us are just hardwired for this belief that we're somehow bad, that there is something wrong with us, and that somehow God was just in dealing with it in certain ways. And then we get to Paul. This is the last bit of nerding out, I promise. Because some of you are like, oh, you, Paul says a lot of weird things. Yes, he does. Paul also probably could have used a therapist, happened to write scripture. You got to figure some things out here, people. All right? And Paul was obsessed with one thing, and we don't know this in our current context. Paul believed that there was this Jesus who was the Messiah, who was this universal Christ who came to reconcile all things. Paul believed that with his entire heart, experienced as Jesus on a road to Damascus, his eyes were open and he saw the world in a completely different way. And all that Paul wanted more than anything else was for his other brothers and sisters in the Jewish community to also see Jesus as this Christ. And so Paul spends time after time after time after time in Romans and all of his other letters just trying to convince Jews of that reality. And that's why he, he says things like, because we're all sinners. And he doesn't say that to like, we're all bad. What he's trying to tell the Jewish community is like, no, like, we're equal to them. We're not better to them. And once we realize that, then we'll be a better blessing into the world. But we haven't been taught to read those letters in that way. We've been taught to see, look, there it is. Paul's telling me how bad I am again. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you guys heard that one before when you were taught to evangelize as a kid? We've talked about this in here so many times. And no one ever told you verse 24 because they were sick in the head. And all are freely justified by God's grace. If you're going to repeat verse 23, you better repeat verse 24. There's always been a bigger story baked into the whole thing. It's just we're living in a time in history where some of us are just becoming aware of it. And that might be helpful knowledge to become aware of, but one of the more difficult things in this is that shame, guilt about who we are, about am I doing this right, am I actually pleasing to God, is baked into our very fabric of our beings. And thank God that we get to learn this information because right upstairs are a bunch of kids, including some of my kids. And every single day, I, I, I get really emotional about this. Those kids aren't going to learn a story about how bad they are. Those kids aren't going to learn some weird story that some people are going to hell. Why? Because they were just born on an island where they never got to say the magical words, I believe in Jesus. That's weird. That these kids are never going to be terrified about missing a rapture. That these kids aren't going to grow up believing that their bodies, that their very existence are somehow bad. These kids are going to believe all kinds of good things about who they are because this is a story that we were actually given. Just many of us didn't know about that. And so, no, Abby, I'm sorry. For any person in here who ever received a word from the church that something is wrong with you. I am sorry for anybody who ever told you that something needs to be fixed about you. I am sorry for all kinds of bodies in this place that told you were less than, that somehow who you are is something that you are choosing versus just the very human being that God created you to be. I am sorry to our queer brothers and sisters that we did not celebrate you, but that we harmed you. I'm sorry to the people of color in this room where the church monopolized theologies to colonize the world instead of to celebrate the diverse cultures that we live in. To my white brothers and sisters, which I would say we got to get away from the term white because that's a term made up to segregate people and for oppression and for power in this world. There's a part of your European history that should be celebrated as well. That every single human being in this place is worth celebrating because you are good. You are good. And Jesus didn't come to remind you of how bad you are. Jesus came to heal you from your pain so that you could celebrate your goodness in this world. 
That's a story that we want to live into. The great theologian Howard Thurman says this. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's what we want to do in this place. We want to tell our stories. We want to celebrate one another. We want to name the goodness of who God is. We want to name the goodness in one another so that we can all go live into our best selves. And when we live into our best selves, that's when we change the world. Don't live in limiting voices. Don't live in smaller stories. Don't let anybody rob you of the beauty of who you are. You are made in the goodness of a good God. And the more we live into that reality, the more the world is transformed and healed. That is the work that we believe in, and that is the work that we will do together. We will all come alive. Man, I'm emotional in this place. Man, with all my being, I just don't want anyone to ever be robbed again of their goodness. Nobody should have that power over you. I do love that about myself. Yeah. Man, you just said the thing that I needed. I do love that about myself. Yeah, no, I'm living in a particular time and place in my life right now where I feel like it's trying to be robbed from me, and I need the reminder of that, so I'm going to take that as a voice from God. Um, man, you're going to get me, I'm about to go cry in the back, so if you would find uh, three or four people around you, and would you answer this question, what is the goodness you want to cultivate?